welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 29th of June 2014, entitled Open Doors Before Us, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Uh, we're going to take our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 1 through verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, as we stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. When I come, Whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, then they shall go with me. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Father, we thank you again this morning for the time that you have given us. Lord, for the health, for the strength, for your word that we have before us to read from. Lord, for your spirit that dwells within us. Lord, we recognize and understand so fully. Lord, that there is, uh, Lord, nothing that can take place here today without your help. Uh, there is nothing that this unworthy servant has that can make any uh, lasting difference in anyone's life. But, Lord, what we pray for is that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would make your presence known. Lord, that you would speak to more than minds, but to the very hearts and souls of each individual. Lord, if there be those that have never come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, may you speak in that voice that only you can speak in. May they come to recognize and realize the greatest gift in all the world that's been given to them. And Lord, for each and every one of your children present today, Lord, may you take by the power of your word, encourage, strengthen, build up. Help us, Lord, to be all that you would have us to be. Make us more like our Savior than we've ever been. We will give you all the praise, thanks, and glory for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. If you were not here last Sunday, we, Sunday morning and Sunday evening, we looked at the thought of spiritual warfare. And of course, we saw very clearly from scriptures that spiritual warfare is not an option. Spiritual warfare is a reality that in one way or another we are all involved in. If you are not a Christian, you're involved in a spiritual warfare because there is one that wants your soul for eternity. If you are a Christian, you're involved in spiritual warfare because the enemy wants to hinder you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to make you just as ineffective as he possibly can. So we looked at a number of things concerning spiritual warfare, and particularly in light of the fact that there is no question that individually and as a church in the past year, we've been under some tremendous spiritual warfare. That should not surprise us. But the truth is, is that we can have the victory in Jesus Christ. 
Just because the enemy is fighting us, we do not have to be defeated. And so we looked at a, a number of things about how to deal with that spiritual warfare, about the armor that we need to wear, about how that we need to deal with them. As we move forward today, I want to, in a sense, carry on from that, but it's not so much the spiritual warfare that we looked at last week, but there is another battle that I want to remind you of today, and again, that in one way or another, we are all involved in this. And of course, that is what I touched slightly on, the battle for the hearts and souls of mankind. You know, either we have to believe that this is all by accident, we're just here and we're just a poof and we're gone and there's nothing left ever. We recognize that much more easily to believe that there was someone that designed it. There was someone that created us. There's someone that we need to acknowledge, to give thanks for, for the very life that we have. And that that one that created us he did not create us just to live a troubled life for some whatever amount of years that we end up lasting upon this earth, but he wants us to live for eternity. He wants us to have a life that is far more than just the temporal life that we have here. And he made a way for you to have that life and to have it more abundantly, as he says. But we also recognize that there is that enemy that he wants your soul as well. He wants to be able to take you with him. He wants to spend eternity with you as well. But not in the place of joy and harmony and happiness that we would like to spend with our Lord, but in a place of torment. You see, there's, there's only two eternities. There's two choices. And the Bible says that it's not God's will that any should perish and go to the place where Satan is. That's not what God wants for anybody. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. We find that he desired that the consequences of your sin, that those would be paid for by his own son when he sent him to die in your stead so that you would not have to pay that price and be eternally separated from him, but that you could have that life and have that life everlasting. So God wants that for you today. And as we begin to look today, I want us to draw our attention. And of course, here is the Apostle Paul is writing to this church at Corinth. He comes to the last chapter of his first letter that he wrote to them. And he begins with this matter of concerning the collection for the saints that upon the first day of the week every one of us lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when he comes. We've touched on that recently and of course we're not here for the money. We're not here to get paid. We're not here because we can somehow put enough into the offering bags that we can make God happy and he'll be pleased with us. And one day when we stand before him that that money would somehow weigh his decisions for our eternity by the same token, we have to recognize and realize that it's God's will that the church be paid for, that the ministries be paid for by the saints, by the Christians, that the ministry of Christ would be carried on in that way. And so Paul is reminding this church that if, if they're going to be there, if they're going to have any ministry at all, 
They need to recognize that they need to be proportionally giving here. We've talked about that before, the, the tithe that comes in to upkeep the church. But then he goes on and he, of course, he talks about that this is not just for them only, but that they might be able to minister to others, that part of this is going to be able to go to help those in Jerusalem. How can the church? The church is not this building. This building would not be able to do anything if it's set here on its own. The church are the people that meet within this building. We want to be able to minister to others. We want to be able to reach out to others in their time of need and be able to minister to them in whatever way that is necessary. But that happens because of the people that genuinely, rather than getting focused upon me and what I can do and what I can have and building their own little kingdoms, that they're looking at the needs of all those around them and those that are out there. And then Paul goes on to tell them that he's going to come and visit with them, that he is going to be making a, a, a journey, and that as he comes to, to make that journey, he is actually at Ephesus when he is writing this, that he possibly will spend the winter with them, that he wants to spend some time. I want us to direct our attention to verses 8 and 9 when he says, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, and then the word for, because if you would, for this reason, why was he going to stay at Ephesus for a while longer? For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. We think of doors. We think of doors as means of either allowing us to enter somewhere or keeping us out. You know, there's some doors that you don't want to be on the wrong side of. You know, Paul spent much of his time, as a matter of fact, that uh, uh, many of the, uh, the letters, the books that he wrote to us here were written from prison cells. He spent himself much of his time on the wrong side of a door that kept him locked in where he could not get out in the physical. We saw last week, we saw his attitude as he was writing from a, from a prison cell. And he was writing to this other church to try to encourage them that he wasn't worried about get me out of this place. He was worried about make me a bold witness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ while I'm in this place. We find that as Paul here is writing from the church at Ephesus, he says he's going to spend some time there because he says, he says, a great door and effectual is opened unto me. You see, just as some doors close and lock to keep us out, there are other doors that open to allow us to go into a place. You know, I'm sure that many of you have visited many, many beautiful places in your life might have been castles or it might have been stately homes. It might have been some wonderful museum with all of those artifacts and beautiful pieces of art. But in order to see those things, you had to go through the door and enter in to be able to do that. Well, there are doors in our lives that are open before all of us. The Lord himself opens some doors for us. He closes other doors to keep us from passing through. There are some doors that once they are closed, they can never be opened again. Same thing happens in life. 
You know, maybe a property's been condemned and a padlock is put on there and no one is allowed to go in. We find that sometimes because of maybe some toxic waste or something that's dangerous that it might be put in a place and there might be a, a door, a seal that is put over it and sealed it off so that no one can ever pass that way again. We find that the same is true in life. We find that Paul said, I want to come and visit you and spend some time with you, but for right now, I need to stay where I'm at because there is a great effective door that is open to me right where I am. In other words, I'm where I am and I need to stay where I am because God has opened this great effective door for me right here and this is where he wants me and this is where I need to be. I want us just to consider some of those doors that are before us. In our text today, the Apostle Paul in Ephesus, he states to the church about this great door, this effectual, it literally, this, it's, it's not only a great opportunity, in other words, it's a great door, it's not just any, this is a great door, and it's an effective door. It's something that things are happening. You know, God opened this door, and there's great results that are coming from it. We find that... There's also opposition, though. He goes on to say, and there are many adversaries. Now, God, on the one hand, had opened this wonderful door before him, and it was a wonderful opportunity for him to minister, and obviously people's lives were being touched, and yet there was great adversity that was coming against him. Now, what adversities could he possibly have been talking about. Well, we have some insight into that because of other passages in Scripture. As a matter of fact, if you look back into just the chapter before this, what we know is the great resurrection chapter that really uh, focuses upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and our hope of a resurrection later. He said there in chapter 15, verse 32, he says, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts, at Ephesus, what advantage to that be? If the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, Paul was here speaking, of course, on the importance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the confidence in his own resurrection, and he said in other ways and other places, he's saying, well, without that, if we didn't have the confidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that each of us will be able to follow him in that resurrection. Why in the world, he's talking about, he's likening these adversaries as beasts. Why am I fighting these battles? Why am I going through this? Why not just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die and that's going to be it. So we know that whatever adversaries that he was facing, that his description of them there were likened unto beast. Now, in the very next chapter, as he begins to write a second letter to this church, notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. 
He says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. So on the one hand, Paul is comparing these adversaries to beast. And here he's making it very, very clear that whatever these adversaries were that were coming against him, that it, it literally had them pressed out of measure above strength so much that they even despaired for their life. They thought they were going to die. There was no hope. And yet, he said, we didn't have to trust in ourselves. Our strength, many of those things that we looked at last week, we trusted in the God which had raised the dead. What if they do take my life? You know, my master, my God, he can raise the dead. I don't have to worry about that. That seems like kind of like the, the faith that Abraham had when Isaac was there on the altar. He honestly believed with all of his heart that even if Isaac's life left before his eyes at this sacrifice, that God would raise him again. Paul said, these adversaries were so great. We didn't have any strength. It was beyond anything that we could handle. We didn't think we were even going to live through it, but we didn't trust in ourselves. We trusted in the God that raised the dead, and guess what? He delivered us from that death. He delivered us, but he not only delivered us, he does deliver, and he will yet deliver also. What he did in the past, he's still doing, and he will still be able to do. God changeth not. The same God that created everything in the universe is the same God that is still in control today. Paul said, boy, I mean, I am where I am at because this wonderful door of opportunity of ministry, God has opened it before me. And it's very effective. I mean, there's positive, good things that are happening, and yet the battles are such that he likens them to the beast. The battles are such that he gets to the point that they honestly believe that it's going to take their life. They can only trust in God, but they do trust in God, and God delivers them from that. You see, sometimes in our minds we think that, you know, we're getting it wrong, that we're in the wrong place. No, the important thing is to know that you are where God wants you in your life. That doesn't mean that the adversaries won't be there. As a matter of fact, I believe that what you'll find, and this is what scares some Christians away, that the greater the door of opportunity for your life to genuinely make a difference in eternity, to amount to something that's going to matter more than we used to say a hill of beans down here, the more, the greater that opportunity probably the greater the adversaries that are going to try to stop you. Your enemy doesn't want you to make a difference. He doesn't want you to be where God wants you, where you can make a difference, where God would actually use your life for something 
that will make an eternal difference. So the battles would be real. If you look back into Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19. Now I know you might say, well, that's the Apostle Paul. He was an apostle. He was Paul. <laughs> yeah, before he was an apostle, and before he was Paul, he was also Saul of Tarsus. He was one of the greatest enemies of the church. Oh, yes, he had a great education, and yes, he had a powerful job and position and all those things. His desire was to destroy the church. People were afraid because he was committing people to prison. He was literally condoning the death of Christians. But God changed him. When he met Jesus Christ, his life changed. And yes, there are some things in his life that he was gifted with to prove that he was an apostle. But what I want you to recognize and understand, maybe you're not an apostle and maybe you won't have the signs of an apostle on your life. But you're still God's child and God is still God and God can do whatever he wants to, whenever he wants to, however he needs to. Listen to what happened with chapter 19. Paul, of course, this is Luke writing about this experience. says that it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. That's where he's at when he's writing the letter we just read. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So now we understand a little bit more about the ministry that the Lord had opened. He went there. There were Christians there in Ephesus, but they didn't know anything about the power of the Holy Spirit on their lives yet. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12. Now, here they are. They have a faith, if you would, but they have only been baptized with the baptism of John at this point. And we find that Paul says, okay, the one that was John was coming before, Jesus Christ, he's come, he's died, he's rose again. Now you need to follow that Jesus. Now they're baptized in Christ's name, not in John's name. And of course, we find that it was only once they came because we find as we put many passages together, as we've talked about the Holy Spirit, that it was only then that the Holy Spirit would come and indwell them when they had put their faith in Christ. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened, believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. 
Now we see this door of opportunity. Not only did he go there and he found these disciples that believed there was a God, but he led them to faith in Jesus Christ and they were baptized. And now as a result of what's taking place over a two-year period in Ephesus, the Bible says that they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. The ministry of that church that went out through Asia as a result of that. And God brought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. There were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? Some people thought they could just carry out some kind of a little religious formula here and they could take on these evil spirits. Well, we saw last week that our spiritual warfare, that we don't have the strength. It's not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle, and it's only in his strength that it can be won. They knew who Jesus was, and they knew who Jesus had his hand upon, but who are you religious nuts trying to do something that you don't have the power to do? We find that he goes on in verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You better not try to start trying to fight your spiritual battles in your own strength. You won't be able to win. In Christ, you can take them all on. You don't have to fear anything, but in yourself, <coughs> you'll never win. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came <coughs> and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books. In other words, here's those that are delving into the, the mystical side of things, the, mag the magical side of things, the spiritual side of things, and burned them before all the men. They began to throw all those curious arts away. They counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. They were pretty wrapped up in all of their false junk. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. You see, God is moving phenomenally. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he went into Macedonia, two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. At the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, we know that by this craft we have our wealth. What are they doing? They're making all these little idols, all these little icons to the Princess Diana, the Greek mythology. And so that's the way that they're making lots of money out of making these icons and selling them. And that's how they have their wealth. He says, moreover, you see and hear that... <coughs> not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, 
This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. In other words, he was standing up. He was preaching against their idolatry. So not only in Ephesus, which was a center of all of this, but all through Asia, people were no longer buying these handmade idols to the Princess Diana that they were making. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. When Paul would have entered in into the people, the disciples suffered him not, and certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. They were fearing for his life. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. <laughs> they didn't even know what they were doing themselves, and a lot of them didn't even know why they were there. They were just getting caught up in the excitement of the moment, the, uh, the crowd, the gang. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours, cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. When the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For well, ye have brought hither these men which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open and there are deputies, let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had spoken thus, he dismissed the assembly. And the next verse says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia, which is when he was going to stop by the Corinthian church. So you see, Luke goes into great detail about what was taking place here at Ephesus. This great and effective door that it had been opened for this man, the Apostle Paul. And he said, I've got to stay here because this is a door that God opened and things are happening. Now, on the one hand, you might have been thinking he would have been trying to find the quickest rail out of town. Matter of fact, it closes with an absolute riot taking place in the stadium there with all these that were upset because his preaching the truth had started messing with their pocketbooks. <laughs> it was getting into their wealth. And they didn't like that because what they were concerned about with the goddess Diana was that they could sell people all of these icons and these idols to make their money from. Paul, on the one hand, this ministry has affected not only the city of Ephesus and the Christians that are there, but all through Asia. And the outreaches of that church had had its effect there, not only on the positive side, but also in the battle side because they were suffering from their lack of selling their idols, not just in Ephesus, but throughout Asia also. A great and effective door that God used by taking this one man into this one church. Big crowd, wasn't it? What was it? 12 men to start with? I think he found when he got to Ephesus, 
a dozen men and one man that was in God's will where God wanted him, a great effective door that God opened before him. And yet, this one church of a dozen people and a leader, they were able to affect all of Asia to the point that even the merchants were upset and they were rioting because that it was starting to affect their livelihood because the preaching, turning them to the truth, was turning them away from their errors. You see, with those things in mind, what I would ask you is what doors has the Lord opened before you in your life? And have you entered through the doors that God has opened or have you been opening your own doors? You see, the Lord is still opening great and effective doors just as he did for the apostle Paul. The greater the door the Lord opens, by his hand and by his power, the more effective that your life can be. But I say again, more likely, the greater adversity you're going to face. Sit back on your haunches and do nothing. The enemy doesn't care. You go through a door of opportunity to minister to people, to change people's lives for eternity. You go where God wants you to, to have your life used for him in the way that he wants to, you will face adversities. We find that when that opportunity is the greatest, Satan is going to fight the hardest. When souls are in the balance, are we willing to enter the open doors that are before us? Are we willing to fight the adversities that we face because we know with absolute certainty that we're in the door that opened into the place where God has placed us. You know, I guess that uh, if I were totally, completely honest with you, as I look at you and all of your smiling faces and as I love you as much as I do, that there's times in the adversities that I have actually had thoughts and even, I admit, inward desires to leave this wonderful city of Birmingham, <laughs> to go somewhere else, to do something else. And that was not because of a lack of love for you. It was because of the great adversities that were there. But you see, I can tell you with absolute certainty, maybe not from my life, though I'm sure there's been times when there's people thought about that they might like to take my life. <laughs> they might like to get rid of me any way that they could. But the thing is, is, yeah, there's times when it's beyond my strength. I'm just a human being like everybody else, probably in worse shape than most of you. I got my weaknesses, my failings, my shortcomings, and I get a lot of things wrong only by God's grace. The reason that you've had to continue to put up with me is because if I've known one thing for sure, is that this was the door that God opened. This was where God wanted me. If he had let me, I would have left at times. The, adver the adversities sometimes, you just say, are they worth it? Well, 
They may not seem worth it in the flesh, but to be where God wants you to be, there's no adversity that's too great. I don't care how big the battles become. And we're going to look at a couple of things in this thought, and we're not going to look at all of it this morning. But I really want us to look at three things and just considering these open doors, which I hope will be a blessing and a help to you. First of all, we want to look at this idea of the open doors. Now, we're going to come back to the first one this evening, God willing, because I want to look at the door of salvation, the door of salvation that is there for everyone that is lost, not for you that are saved. It's there for those that are lost, and we'll look at some things there. But then I want to look for the Christians at the door of service, and then I want to look at the door of succoring, to be succored. The Lord Jesus Christ is there waiting knocking on the door, wanting to be there for you, to encourage you, to help you to get through whatever that you want to do. I believe those doors are there, but I want us to look then at the opposing adversaries, the open doors, but the opposing adversaries that will always be there to try to keep you from going through the right doors and try to encourage you to go through the wrong doors. But I want us to look at the obtainable power. You don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to figure it out by yourself. God wants to do something special with your life. Yes, you're in a battle. There's going to be spiritual warfare all the way through. But in the midst of all that, God will open some great and effective doors before you to use you for his glory to be effective in ministering to others. And he'll give you the power to be able to do that. And then, of course, we'll look at the options that are available in the end. But this morning, I just want to just pass on one simple thought. And then we're going to come back and look at some more of this this evening. But in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, holding your finger there, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 10. I want to give you these verses and then we're going to come back and look at them this evening. But you may be here this morning. You may not plan to be back this evening, or you may not be able to be back this evening. But I want you to know a couple of very simple truths. First of all, we find in John chapter 10, we're not going to read the whole passage that we'll be looking at this evening. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 9. Jesus speaking, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said, I'm the door. Anybody that enters this door will be saved. You see, <laughs> Jesus Christ is the only door to your eternal future. There is no other way. There is no other door. There is no other entrance into that. But if you come through the door of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Now notice over in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And I just want you to recognize this because just because a door is open to you this morning, that door that would allow you to enter in and be a child of God, 
Doors are not, don't always remain open. And we find that he teaches us in this passage here. He tells us, beginning verse 4, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and is shut to the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. You see, what I want you to recognize this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, there is a door, the most important door that's ever, ever been opened before you. Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for your sins. And he is the door. He's the way for you to enter in that every sin you've ever committed will be paid for by him. And that door is open to you. And he says, if you'll enter by him, that he'll save you. So today, if you're here and you don't know that with certainty, then well, I want to invite you today to enter in at the door of Jesus Christ, to trust him. And me or others would love to take the Bible and show you how that is possible. But I want you to realize also that it's a very, very dangerous thing. And I'm not saying this to play on your emotions. It's a very dangerous thing when the door is open before you and you're given that opportunity. You say, not right now. Because he also tells us very clearly that at some point that door will be closed. There'll be those that'll be knocking. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in but the door can't be opened. So while the door of salvation is open to you, that's the time to enter in. Don't wait until it's too late. And there's all kinds of things that can make it too late. But one of the passages, and we'll close this morning, and often this is used in speaking to loss, but in actual fact, it was written to a church in Revelation chapter 3. And in verse 8, Christians, this was written to the church at Philadelphia. And Jesus said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. The faithful Philadelphian church, Jesus said, I have set before you an open door, no man can close it. There's nobody out there that can close the door that God opens for you, Christian. What open doors is God placing before you? Because I believe that God has opened doors before each and every one of us. What door is it that he's placed before you? In that same chapter when he's talking to the church at Laodicea, which was the lukewarm church, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You see, Christians, even if maybe if you're really, really honest, maybe you've gone a little lukewarm, you know, that's not a good place to be. Matter of fact, in that same passage there that he's writing to Laodicea, he talks about it like making him sick to his stomach because you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just kind of lukewarm in the middle. But you know the amazing thing there, Christian? Maybe you've missed some of the doors that the Lord has opened for you. 
Maybe you don't even know where you're supposed to be going right now. Maybe you've gotten lukewarm in your faith, but you know what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm here. I'll welcome you in. I'll take you back. I want to be there for you. I want to help you. You see, you don't have to do it alone. And we all mess up. But the question is not whether or not you've messed up. It's whether you'll come to him today. Because that's what he was saying to these Christians. I'm here. I'm here. If you'll just come to me, I'm here. And I'm here to help you. Father, we thank you this morning that as we We'll think about the open doors that are open before all of us. Lord, we know that there are the doors that you open for us, but sometimes there's the doors that we open ourselves and doors that maybe even the enemy puts before us. Lord, I pray today that as we think upon these matters and we recognize that, Lord, in a case where that the Apostle Paul was where he was in his life because he had gone through that great effective door that you'd opened for him. Lord, that there were some real battles to be fought. And we recognize that I believe, Lord, before each and every one of us here this morning, there may be some here this morning that it's the door of salvation that they need to enter in through because they've never done that. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts, that you would show them that need. Father, there may be Christians here today that knows really, Lord, that Maybe they've grown lukewarm. Maybe they're, they're not in the place that they ought to be with their lives. Maybe they've followed some of their own doors. Maybe they've followed the wrong paths. Maybe they've just passed by some doors that you wanted them to go through, that you opened before them. Lord, I pray today that you, that you promise, Lord, that you're there, that you're waiting, that you'll receive them back in. Lord, that you stand at the door and knock. If they will just simply hear your voice, you will come in and you will sup with them. So, Father, whatever the needs here today, and, Lord, for your children that maybe they're everything they need to be and right where they need to be, but, Father, I pray that you'd encourage them today to help to know that, Lord, if it's a door that you've opened before them, no matter how great the adversities might be, that that's the place they need to be and that you'll be with them every step of the way. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 